Right, so big g'day to everybody out there. You are listening to another Step Outside podcast. Thank you for joining myself and our special guest again today, part two, Peter Johnson 2.0. Let's get him on the line right now. We'll dial him and hopefully he can pick us up and away we go. It's ringing. That's a good sign. Howdy, birdie. Hey, PJ. How are you, champion? Yeah, good, mate. Thanks for joining us, pal. I, I loved last week's episode of uh, of uh, the podcast that we did. A lot of people had some really good comments about the anchoring up in particular and also the electronics about the Lowrance that you run. I run Garmin on mine because it's um, it's foolproof for me. And also uh, a lot of the other stuff we were talking about with the bag limits and size limits. So I said to everyone, you know what, we're going to redo a couple of things here and talk about plan A, plan B, and Plan C. So, firstly, thank you for your time again today, mate. That's all good. That's all good. It's been a week already. Wow. I know. Time flies when you're, uh, you know, when you're fishing and working at the same time, trying to fit the two favourite uh, pastimes into uh, into one day. Gee, I got some nice mangrove jacks this week, Pete. Just quickly. Yeah, that's one of the things I'm envious of, of you guys up north. It's, we get the odd one down here, same as we get the odd spangled emperor that ran around Longreach. Mm. I haven't caught one for a couple of years, but I know they still get a few each year. And um, it's, on, it's this time of year when the, all the hot water current comes down, and there's plenty of dolphin fish being caught out wide. And the, you know, the, the smaller marlin, the 80 to 150 kilo blokes are out there in 30, 40 fathoms of water, and that's when we seem to get a few of these uh, mangrove jack and um, and uh, spanglies hanging around some of the um, shallow reefs. But um, when, when you are going out fishing, uh, obviously when you're talking about spanglers, you're talking about you know the possibility of a jack or anything like that in that area. If you're going out to target specifically, say a jewfish, a mulloway, mm-hmm. they're found all around the country no matter where you are. There's silver jew, black jew, you know, we've got a whole different variety, traglin jews, all that sort of stuff. Mate, tell me, if, if that fish doesn't come on the bite, do you pull the anchor and leave or do you have another plan up your sleeve? What, what's your general day consist of when you're well, fishing? Well, normally, if I'm going out to fish for a mulloway, and, and let's break it up into two things. We'll talk offshore mulloway fishing mm-hmm. and we'll talk the river mulloway fishing. And we could even go a third step if you want to talk about uh, beach mulloway. Mm-hmm. But um, normally it's because um, we're allowed uh, one fish uh, over 70 here, um, I don't tend to go out and chase them as often now because, you know, you launch a boat offshore and go and catch your one mulloway. So um, I'll I'll make it a plan to get a tank of live bait and try and look for a tide change around that change of light period, you know, like um, late late afternoon or um, early morning. But having said that, a tide change um, at sea is a tide change. Um, Most of the dew grounds I fish, um, uh, 120-foot, of water, or um, you know, like 40, 40 metres, 38 metres of water. Now, plan A for me is always um, I've got uh, a tank full of live bait. You've been a sea devil, you know, I've got a very generous live bait tank. And you need it. I mean, mate, your, your live bait tank, you can keep a school of slimy mackerel alive. And that's just for people out there who know what slimy mackerel are like, you know what size bait tank you got on that sea devil. Yeah. It's it's a big yeah, eighty litres I, I hold in that tank. Mm. It's a lot. Eighty litres, or just under 70, 76 litres. Um, but it ensures a good oxygen supply in the water. It ensures that there's plenty of room for the fish. Um, they don't crowd up on top of each other, and the the, the bait tend to um, stay um, 
alive really well. So I get a tank full of live slimies or live yakas, but I will also have some strip baits with me, some um, hooks for squid, um, and I'll also have uh, some leftover yakas or slimies as burley. Now, you, you talk about, sorry, just to keep on this bait part first, preference slimies or yakas? What's your first? If the bait skills that are prevalent are yakas, then I'll use yakas. If, if the slimies are there, you use slimies. And it's funny, I've had it where they won't take a live bait. You've got to put a freshly dead one down, butterflied, mm. yep. and they jump all over it. Wow. Yeah, and um, you know, and I've had other occasions there where you put four p- pillies, um, you thread them through the eye of a, of, of a hook, and normally about an eight hour or a ten hour, and you just put them down on a bunch of pillies. So it looks like a glove, I guess, and uh, they come up and smack that. Yeah, they're not a fussy fish, but at times they can be a bit sooky. When that, when that triggers on, they will snap at anything. Correct. Um, the last episode we talked about. Um, a black norisa when the dew come on the bite when the yep. barometer drops. Yep. Uh, we had such a good session that we were gutting the fish on the boat to get what they'd eaten because we'd run out of bait. Oh wow! So, you know we're putting, putting half <laughs> half chewed um, pike and half chewed uh, slimes on the hook to catch them. I tell you, geez, um, pike so are good. My plan A. Pike are good bait, aren't they? Oh, pencil Mate. pike or oh. kinkies, whatever you want to call them. Oh. You, you, you put one of those on a ten o and. The joy is, if it's not a Jew, it's going to be a good king. Mate, I um, I do a lot of work with uh, with Luke Poyle and the and the team at Tweed Bait. They need to sell pike because they won't keep up with the demand. Pike, pike is pike, fresh, frozen, whatever, are brilliant baits. I mean, live you just can't go past. They are twenty out of ten. They are the best bait possible for kingies and Jewies. Yeah, and and, and they're pretty. Pretty, pretty easy to catch. You can catch them on, on, on bait jigs mm. if they're about, or you can catch them on a two-inch curly tail um, white grub, or one to two-inch soft plastic white curly tail. Correct. And, and you have um, fun in doing that on a little one to three kilo jewel outfit or maybe a little Sedona reel, whatever. I mean, that, that sort of well, stuff I there got, is pretty simple. I've got simple. the SR60 Alvi there that I throw it out there and, um, mm. you know, a little two to three kilo um, rod that I build up, and, yeah, they're great fun for that. But um, the problem is your, your pike... Um, in the same tank as slimies, well, it's, it's just the slime that comes off the pike tends to um, upset the slimies and they die easy. So you've got to keep them in a separate bucket. But mm. um, normally they straight on a hook anyway as you use them. So you've got yourself and, and, a bunch of bait. What's your next level, mate, for, for moving out from there? All right. So, so say I launch out a long reef. I'm going to go and find a spot that fishes in the, in the right current. So... When we talked in the last time we spoke, we talked about, you know, you look at hills and, and gullies and valleys on the land. Well, imagine that that's the seabed. So you've got to find, if the current's coming from the north, which is what we call a, a, a south current because yeah. it's currents are opposite to wind. If the wind's coming from the west, it's westerly. If the current's going to the west, it's an east current. Mm. So if the current's coming from the north and going south, um, I'll look for one of the reefs that fishes in that current. And that generally means it's got a, a blunt end or a, a bit of a, a sharp rise at the northern end of the reef and it's got a wall and that, that'll break up the current and the dews tend to run along that wall along the bottom. Mm. And then I'll anchor my boat up and if it's 120 foot of water, I might sometimes have uh, 250 to 300 foot of, uh, of rope out depending mm. 
I might have to fair lead over to get my placement right because if I anchor up north of the reef and come back, the current might be getting a bit of a, a kick off that um, under, underwater mountain there. It can have a bit of an upwelling and push the boat wider, so I will fair lead in and push the boat closer to it because if my boat's are 30 foot out from that on the sand, I'm not going to get any action. No. You basically have to drop it in their, in their way where they're running through. And, Paul, you've seen it as well as a lot of other people have seen it on the seawall there at the Gold Coast. A lot of footage has been taken of the Mulloway cruising along the, the seawall. Correct. That's what they do on the offshore reefs. They patrol that area of sand and rock at the bottom and the bait fish are all hiding in the crevices and that's what happens here. So if I'm not within 10 feet, I'll re-anchor the boat. That's how uh, fussy I am. But that's because I'm fussy because I want to get the results. If I was lapsadaisical about it, I wouldn't have won the competitions and you know, mm. um, successfully commercially fished for a decade. Mate, they're, 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 they're a funny little fish that can be very um, sensitive to noise as well. In particular, that they, if you drop down, if you're fishing a wreck, so a wreck that is from a boat that's overturned, sunk, fire, whatever, and that boat is around, surrounded by sand, is it generally accumulates a good schools of jewfish uh, from time to time. And one thing I've noticed personally is that when I've scuba dived on those wrecks that are in 80 or 120 feet of water, whatever it might be, is I've gone down there, and I love to do this, and this is the thing that I, I do do, whether it's a flathead or brim, whatever, is I, I jump in the water, look at the substructure, and understand where the fish are along that ledge. Like for the seaway example, you're just talking about the jewfish, is I'll look for where the flathead lie, and then I mark mentally where they are on these rocks, and then I go back with the lure and I catch them and let mm, them go. Mm. But it, they stay in that area. But the jewfish, I've noticed, if someone comes out there with an anchor that has chain on it, and the rattle of the chain going under the water, you can hear it. Obviously, noise travels underwater quite quickly. Is that the jewfish just scatter? Man, they're gone because they know that old mate beside them is going to be, you know, hooked for some reason. They just know that things are going on and they're out of there. So we do the stealth mode, and that is, particularly if it's a heavily fished area, is you, you put the the, the, uh, the clear tube over the chain and then drop a sand anchor or a downfall further upstream, up the current, so northerly, southerly, so go on the northern side of the wreck, even go 100 metres up and let out a lot of line all the way back so the wreck is just on that, you know, 35-degree angle or 45-degree angle from the back of the boat, burly up a bit and then let that live bait back down or a fillet bait back down to the wreck, small bit of lead, and bang, you're on because they haven't heard the noise. Shut your sounder down. Use your GPS. Yeah, use your chart that's, plotter. that's a great tip because yep. the, um, the pinging frequency oh. of the, the sander yeah. is enough to upset them because they feel that pulse through their, the dews on the lateral line are very sensitive to the vibration and, and temperature changes in the water. And I found better catches with the sounder turned off. You put your, If you put your head under the water, you'll hear the... I'll do this on the microphone, but you'll, you will hear that slight... And that noise is the sound of transmitting through the sonar. Yep. Down to the bottom and back, and it, it gives you that obviously that noise, and the fish feel it. So shut down your sound, everyone. Even in shallow waters, if you know the area you're fishing, you should have marked it on your chart plotter. Mm. Pull your chart plotter in, zoom in to 20 or 30 or 40 feet. Okay, not 100 metres. Why are you fishing 100 metres on your chart plotter? 
Like, seriously, if you're drifting, I kind of get it. But if you're not drifting, 100 metres on a nine-inch screen is, is you know, you can be out by 30 metres. You want to be on it. So get it right in and then pull in on it. Understand where that, that structure is in relation to your boat. And if you can, you can nail it without having a sander on. Well, one, you're doing pretty well, well, well nowadays, so you catch people fish. Well, set themselves up with, um, you know, the 72-pound thrust uh, electric trolling motors yep. with spot lock, yep. and it just holds them there. They don't have to drop the, the anchor over. I mean, like, we no. used to put a bit of rope in between the links yes. all the way, and 14 foot of chain, so you'd put a 16-foot length of rope there through the weave of the chain to stop yep. the, the chink, chink, chink noise. Yes. People now have the advantage with these spot lock outboards, yes. uh, electric trolling motors, yep. sorry, yep. Um, but they don't make the noise. And and, and that's, that's true. And, and the bigger boats, I know the, the large boats, I've got a, a Surtees uh, coming, it's a 700 game fish, a fantastic boat with a 250 Yamaha on it, but so the Garmin uh, unit on the front of that, you need a 72-inch uh, leg. Okay, to, to get off the bow into the water. But fortunately with wow. the Surtees, yeah, it's a big leg, mate. Mink Coda make them. A um, few dramas with those, obviously, um, particularly with their self-deploy. Um, you don't want them deploying when you're going flat out, and obviously they do become a bit of a boomerang, so you've got to be careful of that, But uh, which means that they get sent back quite regularly to be fixed on the larger models. You've got to think, you're out in the ocean, okay? There are salt water models for sure, but if you're out in the ocean, then clearly electrics no matter what brand it is, and salt water just doesn't mix eventually. Okay, things could go wrong. But with the Garmin, they haven't made the longer leg yet, but fortunately with the Surtees, because they've got that hull that fills with water, that cavity underneath the, the hull to give yeah, you a stability, technology, yeah. correct, is that will pull the bow and the boat down enough for that stand, I think it's a 56 or maybe 58-inch um, uh, leg of the... Of the yep. uh, of the electric electric engine to, to as long fit. As you can keep the full full diameter, the, the prop rotation underwater. Correct. It's doing its job. And you're not going to do it if it's uh, you know two meter seas and fifteen knot winds. You're going to have no. your bow is going to be up and down. So it comes down to the time you're doing it. And obviously mm. battery weight. Do you put in three batteries? Do you go lithium? I know you're not sold on lithium. I am. I like lithium. I think they're great. Big oh, shout out. I'm not sold on. I just uh, I think it's early days yet, and I think. It's like everything. The technology gradually gets better the more it's out there. So I'm just waiting. Yeah, well, the guys from Green Green, Green Marine Lithium, Stephen Watman, he's up here on the coast in Tambourine Mountain, actually, mate. He's he's a smart man. Oh my god, this guy he, he could he could make a Tesla. You know, with his eyes closed, he's very intelligent. Um, a lot of people have got the Samsung um, phone battery saga that went on when you know everything was catching on fire um put into their heads of lithium batteries catch on fire yeah they will some do if they're set up incorrectly but do it correctly and you won't have a problem i believe as well what's that you need a specific charger to charge uh lithium batteries i believe yeah um uh, yeah probably do i haven't got that far yet but i'll I'll talk to Stephen. but mate look we're, we're digressing at the moment i know that it's all good information but your plan a You've gone out, you've got a whole heap of baits, you've gone out to Long Reef or you're going up the river to target them, you've got your, your strip uh, mullet, you've got some good uh, squid going on there as well, you've got some pike. So you, you are spreading it across the board because one bait they may bite on and another bait they may not. Is that what you're saying? Yep. Yeah, so you prepare for everything. Um, now, the plan is, like I said, I've got my boat anchored, I'm, I'm down... My boat's sitting within that 10-foot area off the 
bottom of the, the reef structure. Mm. The mullerway will run along those. And, and you'll, you'll get bites as the fish schools runs up and, and down in the current along those ledges. Um, my plan B will then, I'll have a 10-foot alvey stick out there. So I've got a, a MT-108 with a 6-inch alvey. I've got a 20-pound Snyder line on it. I've got a 5 mustard hook on it. And I'll have a strip bait or a pilly out there with a sinker right on the hook just to match the current, and I'll float that down because the same ledges will produce good snapper. Yeah, yeah. So that's my plan B. And if things go to plan, if the dews are there, the snapper will often be there mid-water because I've, I've been there fishing and had them nail my live baits. Yeah. So I've had yeah, nice. good snapper take my live pike or my live slimy down on the bottom fishing for dew. And when I say on the bottom... Yeah. My, my Mulloway rig is generally 60-pound um, litre of about about a, a metre. Yeah. An 8-0 hook and upwards and a half-pound bean sinker. Mm. And that's on, then onto the 60-pound hand line. Or if I'm using the rod and reel, I'll be using 50-pound 50, 50 braid and um, the same, same terminal rig. And I've got the sinker to the bottom and then I pull it up two and a half handfuls. So that means my bait can't get caught on the bottom. What's a handful, mate? About... What's, a, what's a handful? Oh, well, you know, my hand span, my arm span, so okay. a metre and a bit. Yep. So my bait's fishing, uh, swimming about a metre or a bit more off the bottom. Can't get caught up. Right. And then if I'm hand-lining, that's in my springer cane. If it's in the rod, the rod's in the holder. Yeah, and sitting there. And then out the back of the boat, I've got my floater stick out there that's handling snapper. And I've got burley going directly below me in a burley bomb. Yeah. That's to keep the, the, the mulloway biting straight below the boat. And then I've got a small bits of burley going out for the snapper fishing. That's plan B. Now, some of the other things I'll carry in the boat will be small small bobby corks or, or pencil, pencil torpedo float, mm-hmm. you know, because... If they're not biting on the offshore reefs, they might be biting around the bombies. So plan C is to go and throw those live baits under a torpedo float in the wash at the bombies. Right. And that opens up a whole new game then because you can start getting big bonito, big salmon, your snapper are there, and you'll still have kingies as, as a bycatch. Are and you using... will run around those ledges that your mulloway are on, but they're often higher up. Are you using the same rod and reel outfit as you would be out for a floater or anything like that on the reef? Yeah, well, I won't. If I'm using the torpedo floater, I won't be using the, the 60 pound handle, and I'll, I'll, I'll be using, I'll be using that 10 foot rod. Yep. But occasionally, occasionally I'll go out and I'll specifically, um, I'll specifically have a uh, six and a half inch alvey, and I've got a nine foot rod which I use. I know it's an old, uh, it's an old um, FSU that I cut the butt down. Yep. FSU, FSU Snyder glass. Yeah, the old yep. Snyder glass. Mm. Man, I've got so many of those, I could start a second-hand market with them. They do have good length. And um, I've got that cut down off the butt section to be nine foot, mm. and that's really great um, as a live bait rod on a six-and-a-half-inch alvey. But, you know, you can use any of your, your, your 30 overheads, any of your 30-pound overheads to do that, or um, your lever-drag... Um, uh, what's that reel that you're using... The oh, yeah, yeah, you got your turnos, uh, for Shimano turnos, yeah, and you've yeah. also got your, so tali- your Talikas. Yeah, so your Talika... I always carry a variety of different hooks yeah. 
in me. I don't carry a, a lot. When I say I don't carry a lot of hooks, I carry small packets of hooks yep. rather than big packets of hooks. No, you've taken 50 hooks out when you're going in with wet hands. Mm. Yeah. you're going to get a box of rusty hooks. Especially so if I chemically carry, sharpened because the tips will come yeah, be the yeah, first so that comes off. Whatever them. I carry in my mustard hooks, I carry in a little, you know, you buy a pack of 20 of them or so, or six yep. of them. Yep. I stuff them in there so that way I can tip them out onto my hand and I only get the one hook wet. Yep. Um, long gone are the days where you used to go and buy your, your waxed cardboard box of mustard hooks. with uh, Absolutely. Hooks wrapped in paper. Generally, you're, 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 you're 540, you're 542s. Your favourite oh, hook, yeah, which is the 4202. The <laughs> Believe it or not, I've still got a few 10O Edgar Seelys, Paul. I don't and even that, know what the hell that is. What's an well, Edgar Seely? A long shank, um, small offset hook with a straight eye. Uh, Edgar Seelys came from England, and um, I bought a box at the garage sale. They were just sitting in the rafters, and I said to the lady, I saw that blue box. I said, Oh, is they for sale? I said, You can have those for $2. I said, Oh, thanks very much. You know? Wasn't and, that a. Th- um, wasn't that, is that, are they similar to the 34007 stainless steel long shank or the 9260? I don't think they were. Similar. Yeah. Similar. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Except a, a slight offshore. But they're what? They're like a. The long shank is like one and a half times the length of that. Hey, right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And they're not really stainless, though. Yeah. But so I'll carry a different range of hooks that I can top up when I get home for the next outing out of my bulk packs. Right. 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 So I'll have three A's, four A's, five A's, six A's, seven A's, eight A's, and and then you know I'll have stainless steel hooks for live bait, and I'll have double seven, double sixes, and depending on the time of the year, depending what you carry, because your your species relevant. Well, that's so true. I don't chase my mulloway offshore in the winter months. You don't. So I'm not. I'm normally out chasing my my snapper and a few kings right. and. You know, you're going to get your, your tailor and your salmon around the bommies, so then you might start carrying a few more gang hook rigs. Uh, Mate, if I'm in the river chasing my mulloway, yeah. my plan B would be, I've got a tank full of live bait here. There's no mulloway showing on the reef. I'll go and drift the channel drop off, but it'll be big flathead are. Mm. Mm. Because, you know, some of the pictures that you, we, we, we swapped over the years, Paul, you know the size of the flathead we're talking about. We're talking about 10 and 15 pound flathead. Mate, you They're recently... The same size live bait that you're chasing for with your bloody o- kilo mullet. Bloody oath they will. They love those big pike, etc. But, mate, you sent me a photo uh, just recently. A lot of people talk about the, the metre flathead, so iconic metre flathead. Yeah, Rarity. Metre 108. Mate, yeah. 108. So that, and, and that is a crocodile of a fish. I, I'll tell you what, I've, oh, I've seen it. It's a beautiful fish. And, big, and released. It's beautiful to see you swim away. Yeah. That's what it's. That's what it's about. I mean, I know the Flatter Classic, inaugural Flatter Classic, which I'm stoked to say, at this stage is on uh, on the Gold Coast uh, in September, October this year, uh, through the Gold Coast Sport Fishing Club. So that's a, a fantastic um, competition to be fishing. It's on again, uh, of course, unless something else comes up through this uh, pandemic. It's uh, running wild around the world at the moment, so we'll keep a close eye on that. But at this stage, it, it is on. But mate, um, so your Plan B, you, you've targeted the Jewies in the in the rivers or the Hawkesbury. That nothing's happening, so you've gone for the flat using the same bait, same outfit, same rod, same reel, 10 foot, um, 9 foot? I'm, I'll come down in size because you're not going to get blistering, head-shaking runs. No. Off, off. Big flathead do put up a, a, a good account, don't get mm. me wrong, but I don't mm. need my 9 foot rod, you know. Okay. So I might come down to my 4,000 size reel, my SR200 Audi egg beater, and um, I'll, I'll sit there and uh, I'll use my 7 foot rod 
30 pound line with a, a, a 30 or 40 pound fluorocarbon leader. And, and that, that OCA leader, that by far the best fluorocarbon leader I've ever used. And then I'll put in there and I'll put my live boats down. But I rigged them up differently, Paul. How do you what rig I it? What I do is I put the hook in just above their lateral line mm-hmm. on the side, mm-hmm. behind the pectoral fin. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I, I put it and, and then push it down the back and turn it around. So it's across, is it out of the top of the fish or is it out the side of the fish? No, it's out the side of the fish. Ah, so you're just pinching the skin. Yeah, just going under the skin and you're not going into the cavity. And, and what happens, you'll, you'll drift with him and you're pulling his nose into the current. Ah, right. Okay. Okay. But you're pulling, if, if you're drifting, and a classic place to do this is along the wall at Southwest West Rocks, right. just out from the junction of the sand and the rock where you get both your, your mulloway and your big flathead. And what happens is the hook in the side tends to make the bait fish a bit uneven, so he always tries to fight the, the weight of the hook to stay upright. Yep, attracting so the bigger fish. Giving off a bit of wounded action. Yep. And when the fish comes from behind to grab him, because the hook point's facing forward towards the nose of the fish, mm. as he comes back, that point's going to grab in the uh, mouth of the fish. That's a very good point. And speaking of points, is... Always make sure that you have a sticky hook, and people out there might be saying, "What the hell's a sticky hook?" Well, it yeah. means that if you if you touch the, if you touch the tip of the hook and it sticks to your finger, it's because it's damn sharp. Yeah, you know. Cool. And, and if you have people used to put, you know, powder into their tackle boxes to 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 you know, obviously back in those days, or even cork line the bottom of the tackle boxes to eliminate any salt water content getting in or or keep it dry. But you will find if you touch your, your hooks like you were saying before, there, Pete, is even the drop of salt water on the tip of a sticky hook will take that stickiness off it. It'll break it down. Uh, the hook will still feel sharp to you. You'll be able to pick it up and you'll put it on your finger. You'll go, oh, yeah, it's pretty sharp. I'll tie that one on. But if it's not you, sticky, you heard, you, you'll lose you your fish. You've heard what I'm about to say before, and I know you get a giggle out of it, but it's mm. so true. Mm. I, I, I look at fishing as a mathematical equation, and people. And when I do my talks at the boat show and fishing clubs, people mm. say, what are you saying? It's all about cost, mate. It's all about dollars and cents. This is what do you mean. You've got a 5 to $0.10 cent hook on the end of your line. Yep. It's attached to your... Uh, $700 rod and reel outfit that yeah. you've got. It's yeah. in your $55,000 boat with $3,000 worth of electronics in it and you're towing it with your $62,000 four-wheel drive. <laughs> you've, you've, you've spent $22 in poles to get there. Okay? Yeah. And it's not the car, the boat, the sound of the catch and the fish. It's the $0.10 cent hook at the end of the line that does the damage, right? <laughs> so if you're not going to pay attention to that... Ten cent hook. You're a bloody idiot. And go and play golf. <laughs> and that's right. People go to the store and and they're sort of sitting back thinking to myself, "Oh my God, this this pack of ten hooks is is eight dollars." Wow. Reality is that's cheap. It's cheap when you want to get your fish back because all of the length that you've just gone to, it comes down to the end of it. That little packet of ten hooks for eight bucks, chemically sharpened. Triple X, you know, they're super strong, but lightweight. That's what's going to hold onto the fish. That's the pointy end of the business. And not only that, as kids, we grew up with granddads and, and dads and uncles that used to say, cover your hook, cover your hook, cover your hook. Mm. In reality, that was bad advice because if the point of the hook's covered, yeah. it's got to drive through whatever your bait is before it gets into the fish's mouth, and that's enough for him to spit it out. Oh, too right. Ab- 
You know, I, I did some jack fishing recently. We, we went off this fishing off the bank, off the bank, right? We caught six mangrove jacks in one hour off the bank. Unbelievable. This is down northern New South Wales. And we let them all go. It was cool. I, I, I had a hook that was not sticky because I got absolutely bricked by another fish because uh, we lost endless amounts using live herring. And I had another hook that was not sticky. And I thought, oh, it's sharp and I'm feeling it. And it was sharp. And the fish were on the bite. And the heat of the action there, Pete, I tied this bloody hook on. And bang, I got the hit. And I let him run and I, I sunk the hook. Didn't sink it. I think, bugger. Pulled it in, put another herring on. Three times before this moron on this end of the microphone decided to go, no, nah, I need to cut this hook off. So I lost three fish. And I got rid of the hook, put a sticky hook on, and and I got my, my jack up. So it just goes to show that that pointy end of the business, it's got to be complete. Because if it's not, you're wasting your time, no matter what fish it is, freshwater, saltwater, game fishing in particular. Yeah, no, it, it, it's the connection between you and the fish. So you've mm. got to make sure paramount importance goes in how you present that hook to the, the target fish. Yeah. yeah so, mate. And that doesn't matter if it's plan A, plan B, or plan C. Ultimate rule is to keep that fish's uh, mouth penetrated by that hook, yep. and then everything else comes into play. When, when you know, the, the quality of your rod and reel, or how you use your hand line, but get that hook into the fish's mouth. It's the aim of the game. Next step, get it in the boat. And that's exactly right. And gaffing is one of those things, or landing net. Um, gaffing, you've got to practice your gaff, okay, to start with. Um, and, and always don't swipe at the fish by going above the fish out and then pulling back. Always go underneath and then lift up. So when you've got the motion of the lifting up, you should be able to get that fish straight back into the boat. Make sure you get a headshot. Obviously, sometimes it's hard uh, to, not to get that headshot because the fish could be a different angle. But get it into the boat, but try not to wreck through the body flesh. But even the landing net, same deal. Don't swipe over the fish like you're catching a butterfly. Lead, lead the fish to the net. Correct. And head, head him into the net and then uh, and lift and scoop at the same time with the net. That, With yep. the gaff, mm. I always like to just reach over the fish Yep. and and, and lift and pull towards me and get him. You know? Yeah, and you remember that. I've seen you on the you remember the fa- there, <laughs> you remember that famous gaff shot. Really good gaff shot because you, you just know the person's just waiting for the right time, and it's just one motion. He's reached over, you strike, and you keep lifting into the boat, all in one action. I remember that that uh, time we went mackerel fishing out of Woolai there, Pete, and uh, you caught that fantastic spotty mackerel for some reason off Woolai and Evans Head and Iluka. And, uh, and Yamba, the, the spotty mackerel down there are big. They're sort of eight, nine kilo. They look like a small bar yeah, mackerel be, spotty. Yeah, yeah the average around the mill is about four, four and a half. Yeah, some of those real big ones that come in are quite chunky. And we don't get the big ones like that up on the Gold Coast or southeast Queensland. Okay. No, we, we get them three or four kilos. Yeah, five kilos at times. But I've been out off uh, Woody Head in Iluka and, and, and caught them upwards of around eight, nine kilos. They are big spotties. They look like a Spaniard. And they go. They oh. give a really good uh, account of themselves. You think you're on a bigger Spaniard. Super hard. And, and, you know, we're trolling around pink skirts doing 40 miles an hour. Everyone's doing the same, you know, turn, oval turn around this, this bommy. You do that up on the Gold Coast or anything like that, and they won't touch them. You know, you've got to put a little squid, under, a little pilchard underneath them and, and go in gear, out of gear, super slow with a net lead under the yep. first hook, talking gibberish to everyone, I'm probably. But that shot where we had a, we were filming for Step Outside and we were with Pete on his boat, everybody, and he caught this amazing spotty mackerel. It was a beautiful fish. 
came up the side of the boat as it went past. I grabbed his gaff and he's got the perfect size head on the gaff because he knows what he's doing. And I've gaffed it in the head and given it straight to Pete. And and, and when I gaffed it, I've, I've got it through the, uh, the bloodline in its gills. So literally it is just pumping out. So the time I took the gaff out, Pete's held the fish. I've turned around and put the gaff in the, uh, in the side um, gun rail. Is, I've turned around, Pete's blue shirt is now red and all I can see is the camera looking at Pete because the cameraman knows just stay on the fish okay don't follow me stay on the fish tell the story tell it right Bertie (laughs) okay because we we just we we, we, correct everything's fine you've gassed the fish you've you've pulled it up you've got it like that and your rod went off and that's when you said here you go and you've turned it and it's just splurted blood all over me while you're busy fighting the fish <laughs> That's the truth. Oh god! I didn't want to say. I didn't want to say I caught a fish. It's like you know, you're the you're, you're the man of the moment. It's your fish. I don't forget about me catching one. I don't catch many. It's oh, fine. No, no, it's team effort. That's team effort. I'm sitting there looking my grubbiest best. <laughs> Pete's, blood all over that shirt. Pete's debut on national television with a bloody shirt. And then the next episode we did, we went back into the into the river there at Woolleye catching brim. Pete was using his famous hand line. I was using the Shimano little 2500 Sedona on a, on a little lightweight uh, three to five kilo Sedona two-piece spin stick, right? And Pete turns up. He didn't have his blue beautiful shirt on that he had from Shimano. He had... He's got his trucky singlet on, right? He's embarrassed as all shit, right? He's sitting there. Uh, uh, He's well, sitting there in the boat. Oh, there's nothing wrong with it. Look, you know, mate, as long as, look, if you're living under a bridge, make sure it's good jack fishing because there's a lot of jacks there. But, mate, the thing is, <laughs> mate, it, that, was, that, was, that was the goal of the moment. I loved it and, uh, and so did a lot of our viewers. So we'll leave it at that. Mate, there's so much more to talk to you about. I mean, you know, we, we've, we've bumped over half an hour. Someone's probably driven to somewhere or they're working out in their gym listening to our podcast um, you know we could talk for days there's so many topics you and I rattle on about and some of those topics that we do want to cover are marine parks are about white pointers because of the number of attacks we're getting why are we seeing more attacks why are we seeing more sharks is it because they're protected species is it because there's a lot more whales moving up the coast protected species are we going to see more attacks throughout the year at different times when they're moving also I want to talk to you about Obviously, the different gear that we run, whether you're running a one to three kilo or three to five kilo, are you using different sinkers for different currents? Are you targeting different species, different time of the year, obviously with different techniques? That will cover more down the track on the Step Outside podcast. PJ, thanks for your time again, mate. Yeah, thanks for having us, Bertie. Always happy to help. Mate, the uh, the crowd's going wild behind us there as they clap away. And, of course, even that with uh, just some of the way you, uh, you you talk about things, you're breaking it down there, Pete, for people to understand, which is what it's all about because a lot of people go out there blind and they're a little bit hesitant to ask the simple questions because sometimes as a bloke or even a chick, you could be a little bit embarrassed to ask those simple questions. You're dead right, because, Paul, you and I both know, having worked boat shows, you know, you come down to Sydney and and you also do the the Sanctuary Cove boat show. We do our stage demonstrations, we'll ask questions and we'll get prizes out, yeah? Yeah, yeah. But when you step off stage, when people get a chance to one-on-one with you, that's when the questions are coming out. And and, and as I say, there's no such thing as a dumb question because if you don't know, you don't know. No. And it, it's like when you're a young fellow and you go to the school dance 
pretty girls are sitting up against the wall. If you don't answer the que- if you don't ask the question, the answer is always going to be no. She's not going to answer this. Go up and ask the question. Okay, and, that, and that's what I encourage people to do. Come and ask. Fishing's been great to me. I've made it my livelihood. Yeah. You're making it your livelihood now with yeah. the program and the podcast and all your sponsorships. Yeah. I'm happy to give back what I've gotten out of it because I just want people to sit there and enjoy what we do. Yeah, mate, I to- and I totally agree with you. Never be afraid to ask the question because there is no silly question out there. Uh, PJ, we'll talk to you next week then, buddy. And uh, everyone else, thanks for listening to another Step Outside podcast. Take it easy. Step Outside returns, of course, mid-March on the 7Mate platform. And if you want to get any of your tackle that you need that we are talking about, become an Anaconda adventurer today. And, of course, with that, you'll get a massive uh, saving in all the deals that they offer at all Anaconda stores around this magnificent country of ours. Thanks again, Pete. Good on you, mate. Bye. Yeah, there you have it. That was another Step Outside podcast. I hope you have a great week, whatever you're doing. Wet a line, chill out. Take it easy, everybody. Oh, yeah, and if you're in Queensland, I'll see you on 7 News with all the weather. See ya.